This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. See, unbelief is all about having it proven before I believe. Belief Faith is believing first and then having it proven, which is why the rabbi wrote to me also about a video that he claims, that he sent to me, claims that really was promoting that Jesus is not God. And he used the word proof, the rabbi used the word proof, which I've heard many times. He writes this, Tom, my dear friend, let's not invent the wheel. Listen to the video. Every, capital every, every single proof was rock solid. Throw me something to challenge any of it. Okay, unbelief relies on proof or seeing before believing. Faith relies on believing before seeing. It all comes down to who makes the first move. Who makes the first move? Is it gonna be God with proof as seeing before believing or is it gonna be man who makes the first move with believing before seeing the proof? And that's what people were doing in verse 58. They were waiting to see And when they would see, then they would believe. That's what unbelief is, see and believe. And this is seen, this unbelief of see and believe is seen at the cross, at the cross in Mark 15, 29, Mark 15, 29, where it says, Mark 15, 29, says, they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads saying, ah, thou that destroyest the temple and builds it in three days, save thyself, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. The mockers said these words. They said, this is this part, in Mark 15, 32, Mark 15, 32. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And God says, no, I'm not playing that unbelief game of see and believe. I'm playing the faith game of believe and see. 
Now that was a John 11:40. John 11:40. If thou wouldst believe, thou shalt see the glory of God. Believe and see is the game that God plays. And this is what he was saying to Moses in Exodus 3:14. I will be what I will be. In other words, I will be what I will be according to your faith. According to your faith. And you will see me to be what you believe me to be. This is what God said, it was saying in Psalm 81.14, when 81.14, which we saw, I should have soon subdued their enemies, turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him and their time should endure forever. I should have fed them with the, oh, the finest of wheat, the honey out of the rock, satisfied thee. See, God was saying, if you would have obeyed me, if you would have believed me, to be stronger than your enemies, you would have seen me conquer your enemies. In Psalm 81, 14, Psalm 81, 14. Now Psalm 81, 16, Psalm 81, 16. If you would have obeyed me, if you would have believed me, I, I should have been such a provider for you. I would have given you the finest of wheat. You would have seen a rock produce honey for you. But the tragedy was, which goes back to verse 58, it was Psalm 81, 11, my people would not hearken to my voice. Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened to me. Israel would walk in my ways. So that's verse 58. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Or put another word, put another way, I became for them what I became, which was a person who did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I really wanted to become what I wanted to become, which is a God that did mighty works, if only they would have believed. So all of this is to say that this was the context of what was happening as we come into chapter 14 with these words at that time. What time? A time of frustration, a time of limiting unbelief. And now comes the, the, uh, the death of John the Baptist. So we read now, first of all, Herod the Tetrarch. Very important, Herod the Tetrarch, the title. Many, many Herods. You know, you don't know the players without a program, so there's Herod the Great. He's not the same person as Herod the Tetrarch. He's not the same person as Herod Antipas. Herod the Great is the Herod who murdered all the babies from two years old and under in Bethlehem when he tried to kill the Lord Jesus as a toddler. Herod the Great was murderous. He was cruel. He was competent in his uh, evil. He was licentious. Herod the Great has son who's not as competent, but he's still murderous, is not quite as murderous as his father. He wasn't a really great ruler, and Rome saw that. Therefore, they divided up this region into four parts, and this one becomes known as Herod the Tetrarch because he's got one-fourth. He's got a brother named Philip. He is really a shlemiel. He doesn't do anything, so he, he's just married to Herodias, and Philip and Herodias have a daughter named Salome. And so Herod the Tetrarch ends up taking from Philip his wife, Herodias, to become um, Herod the Tetrarch's wife. And Salome is the young girl, probably around 17 years old, who in our account here is the enticing dancer. So that's the background here. So our history opens up with this Herod family, which is a family full of murder, of sexual immorality. And this is a history of, with bloody graphic details about the murder of John the Baptist. And we see that Herod starts off here and he's heard of the fame of Jesus. He's heard of the fame of Jesus, says, and he, he's never seen Jesus. He wants to, he really wants to, but at this point, he hasn't seen him. He's gonna get his chance later. He's gonna get his chance, and it'll be a very strange encounter in Luke 23, 8, Luke 23, 8, where it says, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad 
for he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard so many things of him and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. And then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. So when, when Herod finally gets his chance face to face with the Lord Jesus, he asks the Lord Jesus many questions and the Lord Jesus has nothing to say to Herod. As a matter of fact, when the Lord Jesus does speak of Herod, he does speaks in Luke 13, 31, Luke 13, 31, the same day there came certain other Pharisees saying unto him, get thee out and depart hence, Herod will kill thee. And he said to them, go ye and tell that fox, behold, I cast out devils. So the Lord called Herod a fox. Well, Herod hears now about the Lord Jesus and Herod says to his servants in Luke 9, 9, Luke 9, 9, Herod said, John, have I beheaded? But now in, in our verse, which is Matthew 14, 2, Matthew 14, 2, he said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. That's what Herod says, I know it, it's John the Baptist, he's risen from the dead, therefore mighty works to show forth themselves in him. So Herod has done what he could to silence John the Baptist. He killed the body, he beheaded him. And so now, the words of John the Baptist that so upset him from the tongue of John the Baptist, that stopped. As a matter of fact, it was a common practice when the people would behead somebody, they'd pull the tongue out of the, the head and stick a needle through it so as, as a statement of, never gonna hear this person again. Well, Herod has silenced the tongue of John the Baptist from speaking the words, but the words of John the Baptist are not silent because they keep speaking in Herod's conscience, in his memory, and he's tormented by this memory of the words of John the Baptist that keep resounding in his ears, and so, and that's why he says, oh, John the Baptist is back, he's risen from the dead. Now, that scene of, okay, stop the words of, from the head of John the Baptist by cutting his head off, but the words keep coming back, that's a picture of the word of God. That's a picture of the word of God. A person can silence another person so that he no longer has to hear God's words, but he can't silence his conscience and his memory that keep on bringing back God's words to him, just like Herod, and this is what God said about the prophets who spoke the word of God. Uh, Jesus said that John was more than a prophet. He was a prophet of prophets, John the Baptist. But, but this is what God said about the prophets in Zechariah 1.5, Zechariah 1.5, your prophet, your fathers, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways, according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. So the words keep coming. Herod made sure that the tongue of John the Baptist would never speak again anymore to Herod. And so he stopped the words coming off of his tongue, but he could not stop the words of John the Baptist from coming back to him because God said in Jeremiah 23, 29, Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? So all John the Baptist had to do and did do was speak the word of God to Herod, which he did, he died for it, but once John the Baptist spoke the word of God, the word of God was released to do its work of Isaiah 55, 11, Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me, boy, but it shall accomplish 
that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So in the case of Herod here, Herod is a man who's tormented to the point of thinking that John the Baptist has risen from the dead and doing miracles. It says in the Bible, John did no miracles, but he thinks this. But, okay, so the martyrdom of John the Baptist is important. Abel was the first martyr in the Old Testament. John the Baptist is the first martyr in the New Testament. And, and both the murderers, Cain, who killed Abel, and Herod, who killed John the Baptist, thought that they silenced their victims, but they didn't count on the fact that they couldn't silence the blood of the victims. And this is what God said about the blood of Abel in Genesis 4.10, Genesis 4.10, when God spoke to Cain. He said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. The blood of John the Baptist was crying out in the heart of Herod. And so, okay, now here are the details of what happened to John the Baptist. First of all, it says that in verse three, Herod had laid hold on John. Verse three, Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. So Herod has imprisoned John the Baptist. It's estimated that John the Baptist spent a full 18 months in this prison. It wasn't a short time stay, which is about the same time that John the Baptist spent in his ministry. So he's in ministry for 18 months, he's in prison for 18 months, and he's killed. And so John the Baptist is preaching for about 18 months, then Herod puts him in prison, and then he's got these long 18 months he's in prison. Very, very difficult time for John the Baptist. He's facing questions, why? Why, Lord, am I here all this time in this prison? Did I do something wrong? This was the most trying time in John the Baptist's life. He even questioned if he was wrong in saying that Jesus was the Messiah, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he sent messengers during this time, as we saw, to the Lord Jesus and asked him, did I get it wrong? Are you really the Messiah? But it was not because John had done anything wrong that he was in prison, it was because John had done something right that he was in prison. He was in prison because of a wicked woman, in prison because of a wicked man, Herod. He was killed because of a wicked woman named Herodias. Herodias, as we said, was the wife of Herod's brother, Philip. Herodias was Herod's sister-in-law. Philip, her first husband, uh, had no powerful position in Rome like Herod did. And knowing Herodias, very ambitious woman, we can imagine how she wanted to be in a position of power so she's got to jump ship. She wants to jump ship, and she realizes she can't be in power as long as she's married to Philip, so she needs to be married to Philip's brother, Herod. He's the one who's in power there, and, and so who knows? She might have enticed Herod to take her as his wife. But whether or not that was the case, it was Herod eventually who lusted after uh, his brother's wife, Herodias, and who Herodias then became her brother-in-law's, uh, Herod's wife. Now, we see that John the Baptist spoke to Herod about taking his sister-in-law away from his brother to become his wife in verse four. For John said unto him, it's not lawful for thee to have her. Now, so this shows us here, John the Baptist is speaking to Herod. John the Baptist is no stranger to Herod. He's not, actually. We learn that from Mark 6.20, Mark 6.20, where it said, Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and a holy and observed him. And when he heard him, did many things and heard him gladly. So Herod, had a respect for John the Baptist. Herod watched John, 
And when they met, John spoke to him, and Herod was glad to hear John when it says about him in Mark 6.20, as we just saw. Mark 6.20, he heard him, and he did many things and heard him gladly. So we can see Herod's happy to listen to John, and he's obeying some of the things that John says he should do. You might even say that Herod considered, maybe Herod considered himself a friend of John the Baptist. Maybe John the Baptist considered himself a friend of Herod. Whatever it was, it all changed one day with one statement when John the Baptist said to Herod and told Herod, by taking your brother's wife, Herodias, to be your wife, verse four, verse four, it's not lawful for thee to have her. And then the whole relationship changed and Herod no longer wanted to be the friend of John and Herod wanted to be the murderer now of John the Baptist. Verse five, verse five, when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, didn't fear God, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So for just those words, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, Herod wants to kill John the Baptist. And so often it's the case between believers and lost friends, all goes well in the relationship until there comes the one statement about heaven and hell, the one statement where the believer says or implies that he believes that anyone who doesn't come to Jesus is gonna be cast into hell and the whole relationship changes. Reminds me of my friend from 60 years ago when I told him that how the whole relationship went sour. Reminds me of, of our friend, the Jewish Holocaust survivor in her 80s. Jean, you were with me. When I said that, I have to go to London, I just told her, I have to go to London because I gotta talk to my Jewish friend. He's turning 90 and he's not ready to die because he hasn't come to Jesus. She became infuriated. You remember that, Jean? She became infuriated. So what sours a relationship is a statement based on the word of God that touches the life personally, especially if it concerns the heart and who you should marry and shouldn't marry and this divorced person and that divorced person and whether you should live together with that person outside of marriage and, and it, it just tempers flare. And so it was with Samson. So Samson, he wanted this voluptuous Philistine senorita there for a wife and he flared at his parents who told him he shouldn't do that. In Judges 14.1, Judges 14.1, Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines, and he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, is there never a, a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all of my people? Thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson said unto his father, get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. When it comes to love and sex, that's a test of whether a person has really surrendered to God and is gonna listen to God. Unfortunately, in the case of Samson, twice he says to his mother and his father, get her for me, she pleases me well. That's all that mattered to Samson, she pleaseth me well. And the devil used that to destroy Samson. It reminds me of fishing on the other side of, of uh, Carmen Island, Island of Carmen, it's about 11 miles off the coast of Loreto. We go fishing over there on that other side and we see these abandoned buildings, very interesting, abandoned buildings, which are the abandoned dormitories of the men who used to work there in the salt fields. They worked in the salt fields and those abandoned dorms, they tell a story. They tell a story of sin and shame and bondage because the island of Carmen used to produce all the salt that was bought by the states of Washington and Oregon to melt the ice on the road during the winters. And the pay was good for those salt field workers. 
And it was an important business. The island of Carmen got electricity before Loretto did because they had this business going there. But it wasn't easy to keep these owners, to, to keep the owners, it wasn't easy for the owners of the salt field to keep the workers of salt fields over there isolated from Loretto working in those salt fields. Because the problem was the pay was good, but as soon as the men would earn enough money from work in the salt fields, they left the island of Carmen and they wouldn't return. They wouldn't come back. It wasn't nice to be there. So the owners of the salt fields came up with a scheme. They came up with a scheme to keep the men working there, keep them broke and work for more money. And last week I went with a friend outside of Loretto along a dirt road and, and we were going to go buy some fresh vegetables at a farm and, and, um, and that's when I saw the scheme to keep those salt field workers from leaving the island of Carmen because along that dirt road was another large abandoned building and that was the old brothel. And that brothel was, used to be located in Loretto along the beach, right in the center of town, which is very convenient because the, the salt owners would bring the men over on the boat and all they'd just walk over there to the whorehouse for a wild weekend party. But it was so noisy, nobody in the city wanted that brothel there in the middle of their town. And so they made them move it out to this dirt road outside of Loretto. And so, well, anyway, that meant the trucks had to come and transport the men to the new location. Well, every weekend, the owners of the salt fields would bring the men over on the boats and the trucks to the Island of Carmel to the brothel, where the men would spend all their monies with prostitutes and liquor in one just huge drunken weekend party. And at the end of the weekend, the men would be broke. So they had to go back to Carmen to earn more money. See, that was the cycle. That was the scheme. And it continued every week. And that's how the owners were able to keep the men working. That's a picture of what Satan does to keep a person away from God enslaved in sin because in John 8, 34, John 8, 34, Jesus answered them saying, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. So those men working on Carmen would never have said they were slaves. They wouldn't say they're slaves, but they were. Just like a person today would never say he's a slave to sin, but he is. Because all those salt field workers had to do to leave Carmen was just stop going to the whorehouse for those drunken weekend parties. And we can imagine how the men might say, I could stop going to the whorehouse whenever I want to. The problem is they couldn't want to. And that's the way sin is. A person can say, I can stop doing this sin whenever I want to. The problem is he can't want to. And those men knew that they should stop their sexual relations with those prostitutes, but the problem was Judges 14.2, Judges 14.2, she pleaseth me well. Samson knew he should stop his sexual relations with those uncircumcised Philistine women. I mean, sorry, from those Philistine women for the uncircumcised people. Anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. But the problem is Judges 14.2, she pleaseth me well. Herod knew that he should stop his sexual relations with his brother's wife, but the problem was Judges 14, too. She pleaseth me well. And then came John the Baptist. John the Baptist arrives from John 1, 6. John 1, 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. So John is sent by God for the purpose of telling others the message that here's the, here he is. John 1, 29, John 1, 29, the next time, Day, Jesus, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, takes away your sin. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.